All right, so I want to talk to you again about the subject of breakthrough because it is a concern that what we want to try and achieve as a church and as a community, and as South Africans, our context is very different to the Westernized church or Western church, the United States type of church. We, I don't like, the church is a very, very different system to the system of this world. It is a kingdom that is off-world. It is a kingdom that is breaking into this world and restoring what is God's, what belongs to God. It is, we are citizens of heaven. As I prayed earlier, the Bible says that our citizenship is not of this earth, it is of heaven. We are part of a bigger, much bigger kingdom than this, a kingdom that cannot be naturally seen with natural eyes, but we see the effect thereof and how it breaks into this world. And to live in that reality is very, very difficult because we are so conditioned by the reality of this, this realm, this natural carnal world and its desires, needs, and wants. We are so conditioned by it that we are, and we've got, grown so accustomed to it and we are so dependent on it that it skews our perception of the reality of God. The point I'm trying to make is that we have to be more believe God for more and reach higher. And some would contend that this then turns into a motivational message, that it's not a sermon based on scripture, that it's a message that is supposed to motivate you. This is not the case because you'll find to climb out of one level of understanding into the next level of understanding is extremely difficult. To experience a breakthrough in your life where you get rid of who you used to be and become who you ought to be is extremely difficult. I can put that in this one word, a breakthrough. And to have a breakthrough and experience a breakthrough in your life is extremely difficult. To be more than what your culture says you should be is extremely difficult. To be more and to become more than your family has ever achieved and to reach higher is extremely difficult. To get out of a History and a bloodline of poverty is extremely, extremely difficult. And so I don't want you to hear me say, because that's not what I'm saying, that Jesus and the Bible is a formula for you to get out of poverty and become rich, because it's not a formula to break through from poverty into richness. That's not what I'm saying. But the Bible also says at the same time, if you cannot provide for your family, you are, you are worse than an unbeliever. Why would the Bible charge you with that if it is impossible to change that? And we've always been a church where I believe that we have to live out our Christianity in a practical way. It is not just theory. It has practical implications. The Bible says, he, my pastor sent me the scripture last night in our group text. He said to me, the scripture is a lamp unto your feet. And, uh, and uh, it's a lamp unto your feet and a light onto your path. Let me make sure I read that right. Just pass me my cell phone. I'm going completely off script here. I'll get back to my notes now. But I want to read to you exactly what he said, the scripture he quoted. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. This is what he wrote. He says, there are days of, of movements and transitions. All of life is managing the moment you're in while transitioning into where you're going. Mo Life is about managing your moment while transitioning into where you're going. A lamp to your feet allows you to see where you are and a light to your path allows you to see where you are going. 
Psalm 18 says, he makes a way, my way perfect and my steps are ordered. And so for that reason, Francois, for that reason, it is, life is about movement. Life is about how you are moving forward and where you are going. And his word does speak to our every step. It is a, his, his word is a lamp unto my feet. Why is it a lamp unto my feet? So that I can know where to put my next step. And is God's directing my steps only leading to more of the same? Or is God perhaps leading me to more where, because he says, if the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness unto me in uh, Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the extents of the earth. You will be a witness. How can you be a witness of what the good news, the word good news, gospel means good news, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ. How can you be a witness to the good news if your life doesn't have any good news in it? What does good news mean practically to you? I'm concerned. I'm concerned with the church that is always busy finding fault. It is people that, that, that are mostly stuck, that are critical. I've, I've seldomly found successful people having time to be critical of others. They're moving too fast. They're moving much too fast for the person that is stuck to pay so much attention to the person that is stuck. They're not critical. They're, they have their eyes on the prize and they're moving forward. But I find that there are people stuck in a place, unable to transition into what God has for them. And that requires a breakthrough. So the title today is again, the subject of breakthrough, the Lord of the breakthrough. The word breakthrough means, the word breakthrough means, I, I can't pronounce it in its original text. The word breakthrough means an offensive thrust that penetrates and carries beyond a defensive line in warfare. An offensive thrust that penetrates or carries beyond a defensive line. It's like an army that has to break through a defensive line. How do you get beyond that? How do you get out of who you are stuck in? Because about you are not you. Uh, I am the exact same person who went through school, but I'm a completely different person to the person that went through school. The things that defined me then in, in high school is not the same things that defines me today. God has made me a new creation in him. How does it look for that person to break through limitations of, of your history, your limitations in your family, limitations in your financial world, limitations in your relationship capacity? There are people that are stuck in per perpetual cycles of abuse, what they saw their dad do to their moms, they're going to repeat in their own marriages. We see that having to deal. We, last year we did over 100 plus weddings just in one year. We are, have people stuck in that perpetual cycle of abuse. We have all of that happening. How do you break through in those things? If my Christianity is then real, and if my God is then real, surely, my five years from now should look vastly different to this. For most people, when I say that, this is why I'm, why I'm careful in trying to explain this and taking my time to. When some people hear that, you will be, just by virtue of going through university or studying or getting a degree or equipping yourself or completing a Udemy course, whatever you do, reading a book perhaps, you could already improve your five years from now. I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying that you earn 10,000 Rand salary now and then you earn 30,000 Rand and you're vastly different. Now you can wear Nikes, where now you have to wear Mikeys. 
Um, I'm not talking about that transition where the only thing that changed is your financial condition, but your internal convictions and the way you live your life out hasn't changed. You're still the same aggressive guy. You have, you took off two tattoos on your arm that had a skull on it, turned that into a heart. That doesn't, that doesn't change you. What has to change is the really deep, deeply rooted belief system. Okay. So I want to start here. Well, maybe I should start just with this parable. Luke chapter number 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray. Most people read that and say, but I pray and not give up. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should pray, should always pray. Should not some ways, some days pray. Should not only Sundays pray, but always pray. It means Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the whole seven days of the week, you should pray. David says morning and evening. When I wake up, God is on my mind. When I go to bed, he is on my mind. Psalm 1 says, I meditate his word day and night. His word is on my mind. The problem is we have concern on our mind, yet the Bible tells us who can add a length to his forearm by being concerned, by worry. And Afrikaans leer sy, wie kan el by sy voorarm voeg dier hom te kwel? And we don't have the word of God on our mind, we have our problems on our mind. We have our limitations on our mind. We have the next thing that we want to achieve, but God's word is not front and center. It says, then he told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray. And then he adds this, and not give up. He would not have to have added those last portions of this, this verse and not give up if the answer comes quickly. So I don't think there's a differentiation between when the answer comes because you are a better Christian. I don't think because he's telling the 12 disciples to not give up when they pray. And if the answer God wants to give you is dependent on your position or proximity to him, I don't know if you can get better or closer than the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. How much closer do you think you can get to Jesus than John was or Matthew? And yet he tells them not to give up. So God not answering you is not a question of you live in South Africa, is in America dealing with that church first. He says not give up. And I think most of our breakthroughs don't happen because we give up just before the breakthrough happens. We quit before it happens. We pursue it in the wrong way and we give up before it happens. Now, I'm, I come from construction. I still own a very good, maybe my opinion, construction company and, and we still build and I have a construction company. So I built my own house and I wanted to have a, a, a concrete look, raw concrete look. So the overhang and, and, and of, of the concrete slabs had to be there. And in my front yard, I have this very large concrete pillar. And that was about a year or two before we started this building project here at this church. And I never knew at the time that, that everything that God takes you through is training for where God is taking you to. And so whatever I went through was in part training for what I had to do when we built this building. And we saved millions in building this building by ourselves and not having a construction company do it for us. But I, I, I built this, this very, very large concrete uh, pillar. It was about uh, 
three meters in, in, in length and width was about a meter in width and height was about four or five meters up holding this concrete slab. And um, I said to myself and I said to my father at the time who has had years in property development and construction, I said to him, I'm going to build this concrete pillar myself. And he looked at me and he said, why? I said, money. I don't have the money to pay someone else to do it. And the look that I want of this thing is to have wooden slats across it so that when you take the wooden slats off, you would have the wood imprint on the concrete. I want to do it myself. He said, you, you shouldn't. You don't understand concrete. I said, then I'll learn. And I told the same to my brothers who was also in construction. And we started, I, I went to um, the, the rental companies. I, I got the, the stuff that I needed for that. I found a guy standing next to Builder's Warehouse to help me. And um, we started putting this whole thing together and the steel structure, the engineers gave me the rebar that had to go in there and we structured this rebar thing. And as we structured it, we started pouring the concrete and we didn't, I thought to myself, I had secured this concrete column um, I, 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 at a loss for words. I don't know what you call the stuff on the side. The sheets that are supposed to hold it together. I, I thought to myself that I had fastened those things well enough and supported it well enough. And the weight of that concrete is immense. You, you really can't believe how much concrete weighs at that volume of concrete. And as we started pouring it in, this thing started pressing it out. And when I, and I stood there and I said to myself, I, well, I hope it looks okay when we take the, the stuff off. The next day or two days later, when the concrete had cured, went back, we stripped off the uh, shutterboards, that's the word, the shutterboards off of this thing. And it didn't look like a column. It looked like a bubble. And no matter how, how much I squinted my eyes and tried to look at this thing, it just didn't have that architectural feel to it because it's completely skewed. And now what was supposed to be a lot cheaper than getting a company to do it had me have to go and rent a, a breaker. And I had two guys having to break this concrete and you don't, concrete is not dry enough. It takes about a year for concrete to get to its, its actual strength. It's amazing. Uh, after three days, it's about 60, I think, percent and 70. So it goes up very quickly. But after two days, concrete is very hard, depending on the, uh, on the strength of the concrete that you ordered. And I had two guys sitting on top of that thing with breakers for about seven days, breaking it off piece by piece to strip it down. To break something that took me two hours to pour, took about seven days to break down. That's a, it's a huge amount of work. The rebar and everything was lost. I had to restart the whole project. And the column is there now and it's standing and I parked my cars underneath that roof and it works. Then we came to this building and we started building this, this building and I, and I said, okay, all the concrete work, especially the seats you are seated on, we did it by ourselves, good luck. <laughs> and we started pouring this concrete and I was in there by myself, but by this time I had learned that we bought the shutterboards as, as that saved us, really saved us a huge amount of money. We put it all together, we built all these seats and at the back of the admin center, there's a concrete slab there as well. And we put these very nice concrete uh, support structures on to pour the concrete on it. We poured a large portion of concrete. It's about, uh, about 300 or 400 square meters of concrete we poured on that day. And uh, the downstand beams is these large columns, concrete columns that's, that supports it. That was already cast. And so we put the structures in place, did my inspections, but somehow I never noticed that there was a crack in one of these support 
beams that was across there. We call them girders. Uh, and those girders that was up there had a crack in it. We poured it. We went home. There was so much rebar, so much rebar. Thank God there was so much rebar because that, that, that made it a little bit safer at least. And all of that was in place. The safety was in place. And we did everything we could have done to do it well. We had the engineers sign off on it. And we poured the concrete. Went home at about 12 o'clock. Somebody phoned me and said, we have problems. You have to come to the church very quickly. I came to the church. And lo and behold, one section, very large section, had completely collapsed. By the grace of God, there was nobody working on it. Well, there was people, but they jumped off of it. Um, because they were floating it at night. Through the night, they're supposed to float it. And we stood there, and they were safe. Nobody got hurt. And we did a report and everything about it. And I was standing there, and this whole section of concrete was on the floor. I said to myself, we poured it today. So tomorrow morning, we'll be back, and then we'll start breaking this concrete open. Um, I, I spoke to my brother. He said, you should at least try and put sugar on it. I think sugar lets it cure later. I don't know if that would have worked by myself. I, I don't think that would have worked. I left it. We came back the next morning. And somehow this concrete decided to dry up overnight. And the amount of concrete took us. Now I have experience in this. And I still didn't learn my lesson. It took us another two, three weeks to clean that portion of concrete up. Because that concrete, now the longer we take, the more hard the concrete got. It took us so long to chip away piece by piece by piece of that concrete to get the thing cleared out and to recast that section and engineers' approvals and inspections again to make sure the rest of the concrete slab is intact and nothing's wrong with it. I'm saying that to say that what took us one day to pour took us at that section about two to three weeks to clear out and chisel away. What in our minds have gotten so solid and we think we can fix it by one Sunday service? We can fix it by one conversation. What has the Bible says, you ask for divorce letters, not, and, 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 and Jesus says to them, and they say to Jesus, but you permitted Moses to hand out. He says, no, you, you divorce because of the hardness of your heart. And we don't want to go through the process of chiseling away what has become hard. We want God to do a miracle. We want him to produce in us a clean heart like David prays and says, put in me a clean heart and a contrite spirit. We want God to do it overnight, but we refuse to go through the process of chiseling away what is malfunctioning and what is not accurate and what is not good in our lives. So he tells them, pray and pray. Uh, put that verse up on the screen. Continuously pray told his disciples that they should always pray and not give up. So here is a tip. Why would God have you always pray and not give up? Here is my, here is my for this moment, one of the reasons. Prayer doesn't change God. I don't think prayer changes God. I think prayer changes you. And if God is after changing you, that continuous prayer puts you in the place where that thing is being chiseled away that is in you. And what you expect to be your one moment breakthrough is in fact God having begun the work in you, but you doing your part all along the time praying. Prayer doesn't move God, it moves you. When I'm 
pursuing God in prayer, when I'm talking to God and, and declaring to Him His own word because He says, remind me of my promises. While I'm doing that, it's me working the jackhammer in my own mind, in my own heart, breaking away things that I think is limiting me from reaching my potential. While I'm praying, God is working at me. And He says, do not stop. I could have stopped halfway through and found another way to break down that column or found another way to exclude that. That project where that slab fell in, I remember standing in front of it during that two weeks I had to work in this building. That entire two, three weeks, I would stand in front of that with my arms folded, just being really tired and frustrated with the delay that that had caused. And at that time, I had either to make a choice. I could forfeit this project, which is not an option. This is where you, you become the last stop in the line of, of responsibility. If my children messes up, they got me to come to. That's why I'm the parent. But in that case, I was the supervisor, overseer, and the pastor. I was responsible. I can't quit. I don't have a choice. There's no choice but to keep on breaking off rock by rock until we finish it. In life, when you think that you have a net that's going to catch you, you can easily quit what you're breaking off because you don't know the cost yet of what you'll pay by quitting. Here is just a reminder to those who are still contemplating their Christianity. If God does not exist and you get to heaven, good luck. That's fine, but what did I lose? I lost nothing because I lived my life at, at the fullest capacity. I would also stand if God doesn't exist at that end of time and say, I lived my best life. But if God is real and both of us get there, you lose everything. Both of us lived a full life, but you stopped there. How many people don't, thinking that Christianity is a limitation and a crutch, I think it's an empowering grace of God that it gives us the, the capacity to live a full life. He says, because I, I want to submit to you that, that me, my family, and all my friends that I have as friends, I don't see any limitation in what they've done in life. He says, he says, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for people, he taught. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. So he tells this parable. He's talking about prayer. He says, there was a judge. Now, a judge is someone who is supposed to be skilled in making a judgment call. A judge is someone that you would expect to be impartial, that somehow would have a compass in his life as to right and wrong. There was a certain judge, so it tells us about the person who has to make this decision. A judge is not somebody that's supposed to be easily. I, I think the reason that he uses a judge in this parable is because a judge is not supposed to be easily bribed. You're not, if, you, if, 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 if I have to make a decision and I'm emotionally invested, it's very difficult to make a decision if it's my child and someone else because I'm emotionally invested. I'm biased towards my own children. He uses a judge because a judge is supposed to be someone that has a certain standard that's not going to bend the rules or break the rules. You can make a judgment left or right based on his history and experiences and you get to that position because you have the trust of the community. So there's a certain man who is a judge and he says this judge is, is, doesn't fear God and he also doesn't care what people think. So in his moral compass, he would not be inclined to do good because he fears God. 
So his good deeds doesn't come from his conviction that God is good. He also says he doesn't care what people think. So he's not going to do things to win uh, acknowledgement and uh, get accredited by people to, for doing good deeds. He's not, he's not going to do that for get, to get Facebook or Instagram likes. It's a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people think. I think that's almost a safe type of judge in a sense that he is not going to lean if you're a Christian and he believes in your God, lean biasedly towards you. And he doesn't care what people think. Next verse. And there was a widow in that town. A widow means she is single. She has lost everything. She is single by herself. So her influence is also negligible. She's, had, she's lived her life. She doesn't have the potential of a young girl that is still to marry. Nothing much to give. She is a widow in that town. Kept coming to him with a plea. She says to him. So she, he doesn't care what people think. He is not inclined towards God's perception of things. And here you have a widow who herself doesn't have much. No one to fight on her behalf. No one else to come after her. Sometimes when you are stuck in a place, and you can't get your breakthrough. One of the feelings you'll feel is loneliness. If you are stuck as a young person, because this church primarily goes after young people. If you are stuck in pornography, that's something you deal with by your silent self. I've, I've yet to meet, meet people who struggle with addiction to pornography, who shares that openly with everyone. I am yet to find someone who knows that, it, who doesn't know that it's wrong and breaks down their line. Most of them are crying to get loose from it, but can't tell someone about it. That's a lonely place. I think that's why he's using a widow. There's no one else to fight on her behalf. Sometimes when you're stuck in your financial difficulties, when you're broke and you can't pay your bills and you don't know how to get a job and you're, you're at your wit's end, you are not surrounded because it's normally those who are in the full, on the mountaintops who are celebrated and surrounded by many. Sometimes only you, you don't know who to message. I'm thinking about lonely Moms who are raising children by themselves, the husband or the, the, the dad having run away. Sitting there and all you have is your one or two bedroom flat and the boy or the girl shouting and screaming and it's only you. Lonely. No one else to contend and to fight for you. I think that's why he's using the title or, 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 or the person as a widow. The widow in the town kept coming to him with his plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. One sentence that she repeats. For some time he refused. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself. He says to himself. Even though I do not fear God. Nor care what people think. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me. So the word bother. Is a difficult word. Because we're still talking about praying right. He says pray and do not stop praying. And do not give up. We would think that God finds pleasure in our praying or we would say that our praying is irritating or frustrating to us because we have to continuously do that, right? He's, he is likening the story of this widow to prayer. She is coming to him with this plea, give me justice. He says as the judge, uh, the judge says in the story, she is bothering me. 
So even though your prayer doesn't feel like it's a pleasure, have you had to ask somebody something that you, it feels like you're bothering them? I've had that many times in, 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 in many different scenarios where I had to, to phone or closing a deal or phoning somebody. It feels like I'm bothering them. If I have to deal with an attorney to close the sale of a house and I find and I phone them and the secretary answers the phone and I'm saying to her, I want an update on my project and she reminds me that she will send me an email. My words to her would be, am I bothering you? Because she makes me feel like I'm bothering her. In spite of me paying for her service and not getting the email on time, does it feel like, do, am I bothering you? This person is saying that she is bothering me. He's likening it to prayer. He says, just because this woman is bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So her consistency and her persistence in trying to get justice is what moves this man. He is not even giving her what she wants because it is just. He's giving her what she wants because she is persistent and doesn't give up. For this message today, I want to tell you the reason you don't get your breakthrough is because you quit. You wrote, you signed up to university and you're doing your degree and you get to statistics. I'm not talking about me now. We had to do it twice. And they're trying to explain parables, which is simple. It's, it's, it's simple, but it's not simple. And you fail it and you have to pay it again. Some of us change degree, degrees. We change courses or we quit. You write an exam, you fail, you say, I, I won't do it again. You read a book and you, you, you get so busy with life and you stop reading. The, whatever you're trying to do to improve yourself, you quit too soon. And when it comes to the spiritual things in your life, you're praying for your marriage and you pray and you come to church and you pray on a Saturday just to get home and your wife and you have an argument right after you prayed and say, Jesus, help me. You go to your job and you work and you speak to your boss and you tell him, I want to do this well. And you pray, God, give me favor with my boss. And the next day you come into the office and your boss is the first one to find fault with what you've done. How many times do we pivot away and quit? It's like the breaking down of that concrete with that, with that jackhammer. You break off such a small piece of that concrete while you're breaking through it that it doesn't feel like you're progressing through the whole thing. How many times are we only breaking a small portion off and you can't see that you're moving forward. You only see that you prayed and nothing changed. And you use these words, I keep on talking to you and nothing changes. He says, I'll rather give this widow what she wants before she comes back and attacks me. The next verse, let's see if that's the end. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust, he calls the judge unjust. Now the father, your father in heaven is not unjust. He says, your father in heaven is not like earthly evil men. And who of you being earthly and carnal, if your son would ask you for a bread, would give him a rock or a serpent? Who would do that? How much more would your father who is in heaven give you what is good? It was talking about the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, if you are struggling with anything in your life, if you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with a breakthrough for finances, you're struggling in your marriage. The reason you don't get it, I think, is because you're not persistent enough in your pursuit of God's answer for it. I think we quit. 
Church would have been easy if the pastor could just put his hands on your head, pray for you, and you go home and your marriage works. The problem is the pastor stays at the church. You're the one that goes home and gets into bed with your own wife. You're the one sitting in the kitchen having to talk to her. You're the one that has to run your business. And you're the one that has to change. And it will not change for you if other people keep fighting for you. Their fighting for you is not going to give you the breakthrough. The breakthrough starts with you taking responsibility for where you are and saying that I know that God has the answer. If he has the answer, I better pursue him. I'll close with this verse. We'll be out of here. It says in Mark chapter number 19, uh, 9, he says, And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? This is now the disciples who he had given opportunity to pray for people and miracles and signs and wonders followed. They come to him and says, why can't we do the same? He says to them, this kind does not come out by prayer, but by prayer or fasting. So in other words, what you want to do, disciples, will not happen if there is not a cost to you. What you want to change in your life will not happen because you're in the right church. We have people leave the church because they say, I'm not growing here. That's so funny. Because if you're not growing here, you'll certainly not grow anywhere else. It's not their fault you're not growing. It's like somebody going to the gym and saying, I'm standing here at the gym and I'm not getting any bigger. You don't want the answer. That's why Jesus says to the, to the, to the guy lying at the pool of Bethesda for 30 years, he says, what do you want me to do for you? I want to be made whole. But like me, Swinney. Jesus didn't say that. That's the David Grobler translation. But that's what it comes down to because you've been here for 30 years. How long do you want to stay like this? How long do you want to be in your struggles, pointing fingers at other people moving forward? Philippians 4, 6 says this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, not in some things, by prayer and supplications, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. I don't understand how you can be called a Christian if you don't know how to pray. And I don't know how we, some of us can be this bad if we were to pray. Because God is not going to allow you allow you with your bad attitude, to keep the bad attitude and God begins to do miracles. I think where God will begin is he will put that jackhammer in there and in your hand and say, chisel away. And slowly but surely, what is not God. I said I'm ending with that verse. I'll end with the sentence then. My pastor said, how do you carve a statue of a horse out of a piece of granite? You cut everything away that is not horse. How do you end up with being the image that God wants in you? By breaking away everything that is not God in your life. And I think you chisel away in prayer. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for this church and its people. Pray for myself, my wife, the leadership of this house, and every person that st stood and sat in this room today, and those online. I pray God help us. Be true to ourselves. And when we look in the mirror, not to be confused by what we see. We, you, we were made in your image. 
And the devil has worked so hard to distort that image. Help us see what you want us to see. And then begin to work to get there. To chisel away, God, what is not you. To cut off and put off and strip off what you want us to take away. The desire for things to not rob you out of our lives. To not put you as an exchange object for success. But through you, obtain what you've set before us. Help this church and every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.